Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Some kind of a day for a podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Ken Levine, and this is Hollywood and Levine. And as you could tell from the intro, uh, this is an episode about baseball and not the specifics of baseball so i can see some of you like diving to your devices to turn this off no this is more about the romance of baseball because this is about radio and the importance of radio broadcasting to the game of baseball and as somebody who was fortunate enough to call major league baseball for oh boy like 10 years um it is certainly something that is near and dear to my heart and so i thought we would kind of go back and be a little wistful and nostalgic and talk about baseball on the radio because the one thing about baseball now is that it's just not really fun anymore is it i mean it is so analytical and the games are so slow that it's hard to just kind of lose yourself in the serenity and the beauty of a baseball game and now it's just it's just dull it's just dull but Let's talk a little bit about radio and baseball on the radio. Well, it's pretty much how you used to follow your favorite team before the advent of everybody televising. And most teams had as their flagship radio station a flamethrower, a station with a monster signal like WGN in Chicago or KFI Los Angeles, KMOX in St. Louis, WCCO in Minneapolis, WJR in Detroit, WBAL in Baltimore, WTOP in Washington, WLW in Cincinnati, WCBS in New York, WCAU in Philadelphia. And for most of you of a certain age, you're familiar with one or more of those call letters because you used to hear these games creep in at night. Also, all of these teams had radio networks, and some had networks with as many as 100 stations in them. When I was broadcasting minor league baseball in Syracuse in 1988, 
I could get about 15 different team broadcasts in Upper New York. And I'm sure if you were in Missouri, if you were in Ohio and Michigan, Indiana, you could probably pick up another five more. So it, it was fun to listen to these games at night. Now today... It's kind of hard to listen to radio baseball because most announcers are generic. Their preparation primarily consists of crunching analytics on their computers. So if somebody took their laptops away, I don't think they could call a game. But they're safe and they're informative, and yet they really offer nothing. So if your team is losing 9 to nothing in the third inning, is there any reason to listen No. And it's like, who gives a shit about a pitcher's whip or a player's OPS when the score is nine to nothing? But in the golden days of radio, each team had a very distinctive announcer. And he became almost part of your family. I mean, he really was a part of your life. If you were in New York, there was Mel Allen of the Yankees, who had this great voice and a bit of a twang. And because the Yankees were in the World Series just about every year, you heard him nationally every single season. So Mel Allen pretty much became the voice of baseball. In Detroit, you had Ernie Harwell, who had these great folksy expressions. Interesting story about how Ernie Harwell broke in. He was announcing for the Atlanta Crackers, which was a minor league team. And one of the Dodger announcers, this was back when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers, one of their announcers, Red Barber, took ill and was going to be out for a few weeks. And so they needed a replacement. And they had their eye on Ernie. And so they wanted to hire Ernie away. And the Crackers said, okay, but we want a pitcher. So the Dodgers traded a player. Actually, it was not a pitcher, it was a catcher. Uh, The Dodgers traded a catcher to get an announcer in Ernie Harwell. He went on to Baltimore and uh, in New York for a while. He was doing the Giants, but he's pretty much known as the voice of the Detroit Tigers. Then you had Harry Carey in St. Louis on KMOX, and Harry Carey certainly was larger than life. At the end, when he was with the Cubs, he became a caricature of himself, and he really became kind of a joke. But back in St. Louis, and we're talking the 50s and 60s, this guy was a great announcer. And he was also a tremendous showman. He got in a car accident during, I believe, the off-season, and he was laid up for a number of months. But he was fully healed when it came time for opening day. And they decided to let him throw out the first pitch. So Harry, who again was totally healed and did not need any help walking, he struggled out to the mound on crutches. 
and he gets to the mound and he triumphantly throws off one of the crutches and of course the crowd goes nuts and then he throws off the second crutch and then the crowd goes absolutely wild he throws the first pitch and walks off without the crutches and the place went nuts and that's kind of Harry Carey now you figure all right this guy's going to be in St. Louis forever well The Cardinals were owned by the Bush family, Augie Bush, and uh, Harry was caught sleeping with Augie's wife. Well, he was fired. He went on to the White Sox and then, of course, to the Cubs. And like I said, by the end, uh, he was really kind of a joke. Uh, Bob Prince of the Pirates for years on KDKA, another flame-throwing radio station. Now, this guy was a wild man. So he's in the team motel, and he's on the second floor, and somebody makes him a bet of like $20 that he can't jump into the pool from the second floor. And he does. (laughs) He, He jumps into the pool, you know, almost killed himself, but he got the 20 bucks. Bob Prince was an institution in Pittsburgh. One of my partners when I was with the Orioles, Chuck Thompson. Chuck had a great voice and was just elegant. It was very interesting because his broadcasts were very formal. It was Calvin Ripken, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Mr. Brooks Robinson, um, great Hall of Famer. Every team pretty much had their guy back then. You had Wait Hoyt in Cincinnati, Byron Somm in Philadelphia, Monty Moore with the A's, Russ Hodges with the Giants, the famous call, Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. That was Russ Hodges. Dick Enberg of the Angels, Ray Scott. You think of Ray Scott as the announcer for the Green Bay Packers, but for many years he was the voice of the Minnesota Twins. And then in recent years you had Marty Brenneman, who retired just a couple of seasons ago. He was with the Cincinnati Reds. Great announcer, very outspoken. Love this guy. At one point, he was in Chicago at Wrigley Field, and the fans were acting up, and he just went on a tirade against the Chicago Cub fans, which almost caused a riot in and of itself. Yeah, Dave Niehaus, again, my partner, again, a guy in the Hall of Fame. All of my partners are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Jerry Coleman, also with uh, San Diego. Uh, Not me, not me. Uh, Dave Niehaus was uh, an institute, institution in, uh, well, he was sent to an institute. No, Uh, Dave Niehaus was an institution in Seattle. And there's even a statue of him in the ballpark. Also, someone who just retired after many years, Ted Leitner of the San Diego Padres. Very outspoken, great sense of humor. The late Skip Carey of the Atlanta Braves, who was the son of Harry Carey. And also, my personal favorite, Hank Greenwald of the Giants. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, you're a Dodger fan. How could you like the Giant announcer? Well, I have to tell you, down through the years, uh, the Dodgers have had one spectacular announcer in Vin Scully, and that's it. And the Giants, down through the years, have had some great announcers in Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons and uh, 
as we mentioned, Hank Greenwald, and then John Miller and Dwayne Kuyper on television, Dave Fleming. The Giants have had way many more great announcers than the Dodgers, sorry to say, but of course the Dodgers had the spectacular Vin Scully. Anyway, the thing I love most about Hank Greenwald, very conversational, very smooth, and he had a great sense of humor. And it was all off the top of his head. It was nothing that that he prepared. Uh, I remember one time he was doing uh, a TV opening and he goes, hi, everybody. Welcome to Three Rivers Stadium here in Pittsburgh. This is game two of our three-game series, the Giants and the Pirates. And the director said, uh, it's a little long. Could you cut it down? And he goes, hi, everybody. Welcome to Two Rivers Stadium. That's the kind of stuff that, that he would do. Uh, I remember once uh, he was playing in St. Louis, and it could get so hot in St. Louis, especially when they had the turf. It was not unusual for the temperature on the field to be like about 143 degrees. And one time he said, uh, okay, the temperature on the field is 143, but with the wind chill factor, it's 140. <laughs> when describing a newborn baby, uh, he provided this scouting report, Bats Right Throws Up. And then... Probably the one he is most famous for, um, his partner, whoever that was at the time, was trying to remember an incident concerning a knuckleball pitcher, but he couldn't recall if it was Joe Necro or his brother, Phil Necro. They both threw knuckleballs, and they were both in the uh, big leagues. So Greenwald <laughs> chimed in, said, well, you know what they say, all Necros look alike. Yeah. I don't know if he could get away with that today. I probably could. He could. And of course, as I said, Vin Scully, who is Mozart, who is the greatest that ever was and the greatest that will ever be. But, you know, it really was a different time. You know, back then, uh, you listen to a baseball game. After dinner, you'd sit on the back porch you know, when things finally cooled down and you had your transistor radio and you listened to Bob Prince or Ernie Harwell or, you know, whoever your guy was calling a game. And it was very, very pleasant. Uh, in Los Angeles, oh, my God, if you would go to the beach on a Sunday afternoon, you would hear Vince Scully. It was almost as if there was a PA system because you could walk across the beach and every blanket had a transistor radio and they were all listening to the Dodger game. So you could walk across the beach and not even miss a pitch. And the other thing that was sort of unique about Los Angeles and Vin Scully was the fact that people brought transistor radios to the ballpark and were listening to the game as they were watching it. Now, some people now and then bring radios to the ballpark um, I was used to it, of course, from Los Angeles, and the first time I went to New York, this was 1969, I went to see a Mets game, that's where I brought my transistor radio, and I'm listening to the radio, and all the people around me are, what's the matter with you? You know, you can't watch the ball game? What the fuck you got to listen to it for? But in Los Angeles, everybody brought radios, and it was so pervasive, so loud, that players on the field could hear Vin Scully. 
And I remember Don Sutton telling me the story one time. He was pitching, it was like the eighth inning, and he was kind of running out of gas. And Wilbur Stargell came to the plate, and he hears, as he's standing on the mound, Vin Scully saying, Don Sutton is on the ropes, and he doesn't have much left in the tank, and he's facing Wilbur Stargell, who just owns him. Stargell bats 435 against Don Sutton. And <laughs> Sutton said, I looked up at the booth, and I was like, fuck you, fuck you, goddammit. So, yeah, the players actually heard Vin Scully. Not many people have said fuck you to Vin Scully, though. Um, well, now try finding an AM radio. If you want to buy an AM radio, good luck. Used to be you could go to, you know, pretty much any drugstore, any department store. You could go probably in markets. Uh, you could buy transistor AM radios. Try going to Target today and finding an AM radio. Mm, good luck. If you want an AM radio, you pretty much have to order one online. So who listens to games on AM radio? I guess people in the car, uh, people who have like old radios in their house. But I imagine that most people today, if they're listening to quote unquote radio broadcast, it's that they're listening to MLB.com, which of course is a subscription. They're paying for it. Or they're listening to Sirius XM Satellite Radio, which is a subscription that you're paying for. So if you do still listen to baseball on the radio, there are still some terrific baseball announcers. And since you can now listen to any broadcast just by tuning into MLB.com or Sirius XM, let me make a couple of recommendations for you. Again, this is radio only. The best, John Miller and Dave Fleming of the Giants. John Miller, great voice, great sense of humor, really loves the game, is passionate about the game. Dave Fleming, very smooth, also with a a sly wit. They make a great team. Um, Yeah, the best, John Miller and Dave Fleming of the Giants. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre in Milwaukee. Now, Bob is incredibly funny, and he has spent many a night on The Tonight Show dazzling Johnny Carson with his sense of humor. And you figure, okay, if you're going to listen to one of his broadcasts, it's going to be a laugh riot. Nope, nope. It's fairly straight, but every so often he will sprinkle something in. And if there is a delay for any reason, like a rain delay or there's bees that uh, are postponing the action, then then you got Bob just riffing. And when that happens, man, there is nobody funnier. Eric Nadell of the Rangers, Hall of Famer. And he is, I would say, the best prepared announcer of the game. And he's also very interesting. He knows the game. He knows strategy. He's got a sense of humor. He's a good storyteller. Uh, The players are not just bobbleheads to him. They're actual people. Uh, He uh, introduces emotion to the game. Uh, I suggest Eric Nadell of the Rangers. Otherwise, why are you going to listen to the Rangers? Howie Rose of the Mets. 
Um, this guy, a lot of New York references. This guy is an encyclopedia of the New York Mets, knows baseball better than any manager, also can be funny. It's good to have him back. He had a medical issue that sidelined him for about a month uh, at the end of last season, and he is back. Glad to hear it. A really good team, two guys who have great chemistry and work so well together, are Dave Wills and Andy Freed of the Tampa Bay Rays. So, you, you know, you you think, hmm, I'm going to listen to a Tampa Bay Rays game tonight. No, you probably are not thinking that. But check them out. Uh, you You will become fans. I listened to way more Tampa Bay games last year than than I care to admit. Okay, John Sterling and Susie Waltman of the Yankees. Now, some of you, most of you are going to go, are you fucking nuts? They're horrible. Well, they're, they're unique. They are a unique broadcast. Uh, John Sterling is very outspoken and... Uh, he well he's probably like 83 or 84 and he doesn't have the eyesight he had when he was 81 or 82 but he's colorful he's very colorful and he has you know home run calls for each player um here comes the judge whatever his home run call is he's got one for for every player and um it's it's an entertaining broadcast, except if you really want to follow the game. Uh, Joe Castiglione of the Red Sox also has a distinctive voice and is kind of fun to listen to. Chicago, meanwhile, has two really great radio announcers. Len Casper of the White Sox, who is uh, really a, a, a good partner with Darren Jackson, his uh, partner Jackson is a former player and the two of them mesh really well and then Pat Hughes of the Cubs Pat's got a great voice very smooth and um for a while his partner was Ron Santo until Santo passed away they were the Abbott and Costello of <laughs> baseball broadcasters but if you ever get a chance a very pleasant listen is uh, is a Cub game. And the beauty of the Cub games, of course, is that a lot of them are on during the day. So if you're driving around and it's a Tuesday afternoon and, boy, you'd kind of like to hear a baseball game uh, as you drive around doing your errands, uh, check out the Cubs because they may be playing a day game and then you're in for a treat with Pat Hughes. Uh, let's see. What else? Well, you know, people have personal favorites. Um, those are the ones, though, that I would have to say are my favorites. And when I tune around the dial, those are the ones that I listen to. Now, when I did play-by-play, -play, I always tried to liven things up, okay? Look, I'm not a former player, so I can't draw upon my experience. You know, uh, when I was a shortstop, I would make that play. No. But, of course, I have a sense of humor, and I tried to sprinkle that in. But just like Hank Greenwald, I never prepared anything. 
I would just react to whatever was going on. Because I kind of saw myself as a storyteller, not just a reporter. And I wanted my broadcast to be equally entertaining and equally fun if my team was losing 10 to nothing or if they were playing in the World Series. Of course, in my case, none of my teams ever played in the World Series. So I suppose it would be cheating to then not play you at least a small sample of my play-by-play so that you could hear what I sounded like. And so I'm going to end with this. It's from a uh, Mariners twin game from 2012. No great highlights. It's just kind of a typical half inning. And so this is what I sounded like calling Mariners baseball. For the play-by-play here in the top of the six, here's Kenny Levine. Thanks very much, Ricky. Hi again, everybody. Three to one in favor of the Mariners over the Twins. And it will be Joe Maurer leading it off, followed by Josh Willingham and then Justin Morneau. So the big guys coming up for the Twins against Iwakuma, who was perfect through the first four. I mean, it's kind of a tough act to follow after Felix Hernandez with his perfect game on Wednesday. The first pitch on the way, a change off the outside, one ball and no strikes. And I guess for Iwakuma, I mean, it has to be like, well, Ricky, you're auditioning for Mork and Mindy, and you come in <laughs> behind Robin Williams. Yeah, good luck <laughs> okay? with that one. Yeah, exactly. Or you're on the Ed Sullivan show, and you're following the kid act. Uh-huh. That's yeah. tough. <laughs> or the Beatles. Yeah, that, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that would be tough. Oh, that's way tough. 2-0 yeah. oh, the count to Maurer. Joe 0 for 2 tonight was robbed. A great diving catch by Trayvon Robinson. Now he swings, lifts the ball, foul off to the left out of play. And the count, two balls and one strike. Well, Mariner fans are taking pictures of themselves, posing like Felix Hernandez after his perfect game with one leg up and both hands, you know, pointed up to the sky. I did that earlier, actually. They, they took a picture of me, and you can be part of the conversation. Just uh, follow and interact it at Mariners on Twitter. Swing and a miss. Two balls and two strikes took me about five minutes to to get my picture because of my great balance. I kept falling off. You know, I, I, I couldn't hold my, my leg up very long. I kept saying, take the picture. Take the picture already. Almost <laughs> fell out of the booth. Those gymnastic lessons didn't take when you were a kid? No, they didn't, Four or five I guess. 2-2 two, two pitch now is high and away to Joe Maurer, and the count is full. Three balls and two strikes. We're trying to get that thing trending. With people posing like Felix. Go to at Mariners <laughs> on Twitter. You can see a picture of me, and, and I truly do look ridiculous. 3 2 pitch, bouncing ball over the mound behind second base, diving stop by Ryan, and he's got no play. But what an amazing play by Brendan Ryan, angling probably 50 feet to his left, smothering that ball and preventing it from going into center field. Wow infield base hit here comes Josh Willingham now listen how quiet the crowd suddenly got I think they're just stunned by that play Mariners leading the American League in defense and Brendan Ryan a big reason why Willingham takes a mighty cut comes up empty 0 and 1 now you got a runner on at first base. You sure like to see Hisashi, you know, keep that rhythm. You know, 
when he, when he slows things down, that's when he tends to get in trouble. You'd still like to see him work with that good tempo. Mm -hmm. And his infielders would sure like that as well. Exactly. Yep. Now we're off the bag at first. And the pitch home. There's a slider outside. One ball and one strike. So Kevin did a little research and found out the act that did follow the Beatles Come on. back in February of 1964. It was an act that uh, I saw in Europe. My <laughs> wife Sylvia and I saw when we were touring Europe. A guy named Fred Kappa followed the Beatles. Swing and a one-hopper to short. The feed to second one on to first double play. Hit it over to the vacuum cleaner there at short. Brendan Ryan. So Willingham hits into a double play. Two outs, bases empty. Wells Fargo has always been there working with you to help you reach your financial goals. Now and in the future, they'll continue to provide sound financial guidance and a commitment to customer service. Wells Fargo is with you when you want to keep moving forward. Wells Fargo together will go far. Justin Morneau now standing in from the left side. He is one for two. And Iwakuma starts him off with a strike. Nothing and one. A fastball at 90 miles an hour. When you said that about the act following the Beatles, did everybody, like myself, go like, who? <laughs> what, who was that guy? Fred Kappa, for gosh sakes. Swing and a miss. Snowballs and two strikes. Was that the guy spinning the plates? I always remember that guy. Who's Fred Kappa? I don't know. He's some guy that, uh, that Ed <laughs> and his lovely wife, Celia, saw while they toured right here. Europe. Right here in our right show. Right here in our show. On the 0-2 pitch now. It's outside, ball one. One ball and two strikes. Topo Gigio, the little Italian mouse. My mother loved the uh -huh. Topo Gigio. Oh, hey, Eddie. I love you. Iron Ross and the Supremes. <laughs> For all you youngsters out there. One and two. <laughs> two outs, bases empty. Morno waits. Iwakuma deals. In there. Strike three call. Nothing fancy. A fastball. And that is strikeout number five for Iwakuma. So no runs ahead and nobody left. On to the last of the sixth here at Safeco Field. Still the Mariners three and the Twins one. I actually think we won that game. And that will do it for this edition of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolfert, and to Bruce and Jason Miller. My email address, should you wish to get in touch, is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. Follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I throw in some of my cartoons. That'll do it for this week. Talk to you again next week. Play ball. Hollywood and the fine.